Do you believe in love at first sight? It happens all the time in the movies. And this week's episode of the Scary Spirits podcast, Lust for a Vampire, is no exception. In fact, it happens more than once, almost simultaneously, to multiple people. Love connections are everywhere. Maybe we should change the saying to lust at first sight. Now that is something I can get behind and truly believe in. Cheers! Welcome to the Scary Spirits Podcast. Please be advised that the presenters may use adult language and or discuss adult situations. This podcast is not intended for younger listeners or those that may be easily offended. So, if you're ready, let's go. Hello, I'm Greg. Hi, I'm Karen. And welcome to the Scary Spirits Podcast, the podcast that combines the two very different but highly compatible worlds of scary films and alcoholic spirits. What could possibly go wrong? Indeed. How are you, Karen? I'm doing great. How are you, Greg? I'm okay. Thanks for asking. It's what we do. So this week, we're going to try something different, Karen. Oh, no. Change is hard, Greg. We're going to rearrange things a little bit. We're going to change it up. Okay. So just going to change the kind of the format, but not really. It's still the same stuff, just in a different order. All right. We'll see how it goes. Okay. And friends and listeners, let us know if you like it better or worse. Info at scaryspirits.com. Blame Greg. I had nothing to do with yes. this. If you hate it, email Karen at scaryspirits.com. <laughs> if you love it, email Greg at scaryspirits.com. <laughs> I'll gather up my emails like a petition. <laughs> All right. I believe this film was, was it my choice? Oh, yes. I don't think anyone will be surprised that you chose this movie. Okay. So the film I have chosen is a hammer film, Karen. Shock number one. Mm-hmm called lust for a vampire it's appropriate it is and it's part two of the karnstein trilogy of which we've already done the other two. Oh, i was thinking it was part three no this is part two this is do you know what one. they are in order so in case anyone wants to listen in order yeah so the first one is vampire lovers starring the lo lovely ingrid pitt mm-hmm this is the second one, Lust for a Vampire. The third one, Twins of Evil, is the third one. You don't have to listen in order, certainly. They don't no, really they, connect. They do have they have no connection other than the same names. You're right. Same names. family names. Different actors, different actresses play the characters. Different storylines. It's all different. Yeah. Just Karnstein. Karnstein trilogy. And Karen, the reason I chose this film is that it was released on September 2nd, 1971. And this podcast, if you're listening to this on release day, it is September 6th. So celebrating the anniversary of its release in 1971, Karen, 52 years ago. It's very 70s, that's for sure. Yeah, the film, the copyright on it 
1970. <laughs> so I assume it, I guess it was filmed in 1970, but wasn't released until 1971. I can't imagine what they waited for. Why they held on to it for so long. <laughs> I would think you'd want to get this right, right out there into the public's eyes. <laughs> Absolutely. I do have a cocktail as well, Karen. Excellent. What's that? It is called the Strange Love Negroni. You know, I couldn't figure out why you picked that. And I, I was watching the movie and I'm like, okay, whatever, I guess. Because I'm thinking I'm going to get you. Like, you didn't really pick a drink that goes with the movie. And then all of a sudden. There it is. Hit you right <laughs> over the head, doesn't it? <laughs> I started laughing <laughs> for multiple reasons. But it, the drink definitely goes with the movie. There is, it is themed. How do you make that drink? So we're going to need 50 milliliters of gin, 40 milliliters of Campari, 40 milliliters of sweet vermouth, and a orange slice for garnish. We're going to pour the ingredients into a mixing glass with ice and stir until well chilled. I don't know why you don't shake it. Maybe you don't shake vermouths or wines or whatever. Maybe. I don't know. And then you strain it into an ice-filled tumbler. So, I don't, again, I don't understand. Why can't you just drink it out of the mixing glass filled with ice? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. And then garnish with an orange slice. Then you serve. I just really don't like Campari. This is better than the last one, though, I think. I tried. I even I, put less in, and I can still taste it. I'm. I can taste it. I, pe- I think the sweet vermouth helps in this one. Probably. All right, should we give our friends and listeners time to make their own strange Negroni now that you have sold it to them so heavily? (laughs) Of course. Hold on. And we're back. Yes, we are. All right, Karen, might you have a brief synopsis for us? I do. Go on. Tell us all a story about lust and vampires. A seductive vampire enrolls at an 1800s exclusive finishing school and finds an abundance of victims among the staff and students. Thank you, Karen, for that brief synopsis. Pretty accurate. Yep. Right. So typically right here, we would go into the film and go through it scene by scene and talk about it. But this time, as I said, we're going to switch it up. So I'm going to ask you right now, Karen, what were you pleasantly surprised by? Or did you really enjoy in this film? What did you love about it? The sets are nice. (laughs) Yes. And go on. That's all I got. That's all I got. That's all you got? Yeah. what, What did you like about it? Well, I was going to say, it's a Hammer film, so yes. the sets are going to be good or great. Mm-hmm. Typically, the costuming is very good, too. This one wasn't as much, I don't think. This one no, it, feels it, like they cheaped out a little bit on the costuming. And the hair and makeup is definitely 70s. Even though they tried yes. to make it 1800s, it just comes across as 70s. No, but I think it's done well. Well, yeah, all the girls are pretty, if that's what yes, you mean. And, yes, it's a I hammer mean, film. All the they, girls are beautiful. They have all hammer the glamour. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Acting was uh, 
fair. Some were better than others. Overall, I think it was pretty good. Really? I didn't think so at all. You didn't like the guy who played The Strange? You didn't think he was very good? I guess he was okay as the actor. I think the script was just... I didn't like the story. I didn't like the... Well, I guess we're going to move into what I didn't like. <laughs> all right, like. go on, Karen. Go well, ahead one on. One thing I have right off the bat, and I've had this complaint before with... I don't even know if it was one of these films... A Karen Karnstein film. Karnstein. 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 I guess it is Stein, isn't it? Franken? No, it's Stein, right? I think that's why I was getting confused. Frankenstein, Karnstein. I think it's probably Stein. But they have the vampire go into a very small area where everybody knows everybody and they start knocking them off. And it's so obvious that something's happening. That's true. I mean, the villagers would know that lore right they know all about the karnsteins they're the heck castles right on the hill above their little town right karnsteins but but this, even so but even, this is set in a boarding school or a girl even school. if it without the lore if girls start disappearing and being found murdered over and over and over it's there's only like 10 people there to start with and people start getting knocked off or disappearing you got to roam far so no one knows. I don't know. I just okay. wonder about that. Yeah, well, the bodies weren't, I mean, bodies weren't turning up one after the other. Disappearing, though. And they kind of were, even in the village. Just, just one girl. Two. She was, first one was never found, I don't think. She was missing. Oh. But yeah, I mean, the villager, the townsfolk are suspicious from... The beginning, right? You're right. They know the lore. I didn't think the acting was really that good. I didn't mind Lestrange, but I didn't think the what's her name? Because there's Carmilla and there's Marcala, mm-hmm. Marcala, Marcala. I didn't like her as the main actress. Okay. And the usual complaints: the blood doesn't look like blood. No, it doesn't. And Ute Stensgard is. Mercala, Ute. She's beautiful. And also yes. all the girls in the finishing school look about 30. You know, it's just kind of like, okay. I don't but think they look 30. They look in their, I mean, they late, look, they look in, their in 20s. mid-20s. There were yeah, some, some were pushing it into 30, but they didn't have main parts. Um, I thought the lady who played the principal, Miss Simpson, I thought she was good. I, she was annoying, but I she was she was a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> or actress. There's kind of a I don't know a lot and of tropes was, in this one. And what was weird? The um, what I thought was weird anyway. The lady who played the countess, she she has like the OBE after her name, you know, like what does that mean? Order of the British Empire or something or something like that. So she's supposed to be a really good actress. I didn't think she was very good in this. <laughs> but she could be a stage actress or something. She is. She is a theatrical. Yeah. Shakespearean actress, but that makes sense. So yeah, it helps. She it carried helps, it helps herself. when the material is Shakespeare. Well, she did, and she carried herself like a countess. You could tell mm. the acting maybe wasn't perfection, but she definitely held herself in a different way, I think, than the other yeah, actors. Not, she didn't seem like she knew how to do horror. I guess. Did you not like anything about it? Lots of the acting wasn't good. Like I said, I kind of agree with you about Ute. I mean, she was 
bless her heart. You know, she was she wasn't terrible, but she really couldn't carry the film. I think if someone else had been in that role, it might have been a little better. Well, of course they asked Ingrid Pitt to do it. And she, she 50 at this point. <laughs> don't know. But um, this was her first and last leading role. She would have been fine as one of the supporting actresses, I think. I don't feel like she carried it well. As I said, the unif- the costumes, some of the costumes look like something you would get at Spirit Halloween. <laughs> I agree. Either they didn't fit well or because it's hard to tell as a photographer, I will tell you, you can photograph cheap things to look expensive, right? Because you can't really touch it, feel it, you know, like, mm-hmm. so you can light it so it looks fancy, even if it's not. And I, so I think, I don't know why they looked like that. I think maybe they didn't fit well or something. I think because they were all like satin and shiny, you know, and that's the way like cheap costumes look. Maybe. I do have a question before I forget though. Were those Christopher Lee's eyes? Are they featured in this I have in, in my movie? notes. I'm like, those are Christopher Lee's eyes. <laughs> That's what I just want to say a cameo by Christopher Lee's eyes. No, I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, I looked a little. Lee's... I couldn't find it. But those were his eyeballs. Oh, I know. They, they had to be. They weren't that counts. I know that. And that's another thing I didn't like. I didn't care for him much. His, his makeup was pretty bad, I thought. His hair and everything. It was very fake looking. You know, whatever they call the. Widow's Peak. Widow's Peak. And I He's noticed, motioning on his forehead. I'm not yes, reading his mind. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the um, the guy who played the girl's father, Susan's father, that we don't see until the end. I kept being distracted by his sideburns. Me they too. Looked, they looked fake. I, <laughs> I agree. He was a good actor, though. Yeah, he was good in, in that role. I will say I'm glad they included that. They didn't yes. just let the girl disappear and nobody, and nobody said anything. Nobody yes. said boo so that it. was a nice touch. I will give them that. And there were a couple of shots that I thought were pretty or well mm-hmm. done. So yep. there was some good cinematography. I was going to say a lot of the shots were good, especially, well, we, we know that night scenes aren't really done at night, you know, but they had good filters and it looked. It looked better than a lot of other films yeah, look. Yeah, convincing enough. That it was dark. And I actually noticed that. So there weren't, it wasn't horrible all around. I think that. Whoever filmed it was above the movie material, (laughs) I will say. And actually, Peter Cushing was going to be in this too, but he had to decline because his wife was sick and he was taking care of her at the time. He would have helped immensely. I wonder what role he he would have been. The inspector or Lestrange? No, he he was going to be the schoolmaster, Giles. Oh, okay. Which would have been a good role for him, I think. He'd have crushed it. Anything else you didn't like or did like? No, I mean, it's a Hammer film, but I think they are deteriorating into boobs and blood at this point. I think they've done much better than this. Yeah, And um, it just seemed gratuitous. I know you like your boob count. I don't mind it, but it just seemed like I was waiting for a pillow fight or something. Like, let's, you know put a bunch of girls together. And the other thing I didn't like speaking of the girls is when they would go outside, it was like they were playing like they were little kids giggling and it was just weird. You know, 
one, they looked 25. And then two, when they would go outside, they would giggle and almost play ring around the rosy or something. I don't know. It just, it was such a weird kind of. Well, maybe that's what they did in 1830, Karen. I think it's what men think women do at finishing school or something. I don't know. But it's deteriorated to the point where it's definitely a Hammer film. It has all the aspects of a Hammer film, but I think they've done better in the past where they've incorporated all these things, but it's still been a decent movie. And I just felt like this was like, okay, time for the boobs. Okay. Let's throw some lesbian undertones or overtones in this one. (laughs) You know, let's throw that in there. Okay. Now let's bring in the terrible blood and bring it it just, maybe I'm in a mood, but this one was not for me. I thought um, Twins of Evil was much better. So I was going to ask you. Yeah. Which which of the three do you think is better? Because I've read like where like people have said that they think this is the better of the first two. Maybe. Ingrid Pitt, although I do enjoy her. I mean, that was heavy lesbian stuff than that one. Vampire. Well, this one is even more. No, I don't think it is. Not as much as vampire lovers. I think Twins of Evil was more fun. Twins of Evil is better, and probably for none other reason that Peter Cushing's in it. Well, but I think the dichotomy of the twins, you know, having one Mm. evil, one not, and having that sibling kind of rivalry where one would let one rot in jail, and the you know, like there was more. Yeah, I agree. Meat to the story somehow. It was just there was a little bit of witchcraft in in there. There were lots of burnings of witches. Yes, the witch burnings. I mean, I agree. This one just had all the things just thrown together in a way that was kind of silly. And I read in the um, Hammer Glamour book, Karen, that I have, that, um, and this is the only place I've seen this, is that Ute Stengard says she was shocked when she watched the film when it was released and it was not her voice. Oh, but really? I but I haven't seen anywhere that says that it's not her voice. I saw a dubbing technician that. or something in the credits, which yeah, I thought the, was um, kind of weird, but I thought, whatever. The guy who played the Count, it's not his voice. So he was overdubbed. I did read that. But according to the Hammer Glamour book, it's not she, her voice. She was as well. Yeah. I did not notice either I one of either. those. And I, I even I read that beforehand. I was trying to watch, you know, to see hmm. if I could tell if it was her voice. But she's Danish, I think. I think I might have liked that better. Would have given her more of the countess, the royalty kind of. But they said maybe that. Maybe you couldn't understand some of the words or something. Her heavy Danish accent. I don't know. And also, she is still with us, Karen. And she is now a national account director for one of America's biggest radio networks. Wow. So she, um, the whole film thing kind of kind of disenchanted well i guess if i watched the film and it wasn't my voice i would kind of get the impression that maybe that wasn't for me <laughs> you know if they're going to overdub my voice i'm probably right. not going to get when that's what she's, starring like, she's roles. That's what she kind of what she says like she wish she would have known you know if someone would have told her you know what i mean she could have concentrated on something else right <laughs> but you know she's a beautiful girl so well, she definitely could have been in the background of many a film with yeah. slight speaking roles or something. And I but was, if kinda, you, I if, was kind of surprised this is her only Hammer film. 
But if well, if they're going to have to overdub her entire dialogue, that's a lot of work, especially back then. Yeah, but like you said, she could have had a supporting role in many other Hammer films. True, but if I guess if you come out of the gate as the star, you don't want to go. Yeah, well, she didn't come out of the gate. She did. This was her first one with Hammer, but she had done a few films before this, mm. and she did a few films after. But this was her only leading role, and her only Hammer film. Gorgeous, though. Yep, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, big blue eyes. Hmm. Anything else? Not really. What'd you think of the soundtrack, Karen? It's interesting. Yep. I can't really remember any of it except for that song. There is a song, what he's talking about. We should just mention it, I guess. Yes. It it doesn't sound 1800s. No, it doesn't. (laughs) It's a groovy 1970s song that plays. I mean, I actually laughed. When it came on. Called Strange Love. Strange Love. (laughs) It's just. That's where we get our cocktail. (laughs) As I mentioned, I didn't know where Strange Love was coming into this film. And I thought, well, okay, maybe a vampire human. Maybe we'll get to that. And then all of a sudden that song came on and it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's bad. All right, Karen, what kind of cocktail rating you want to give this film? We should play this that at the end. (laughs) I wonder if you put a snippet on the end if we get in trouble. I don't know. I mean, it's, it says um, the song Strange Love. I'm reading from Wikipedia, boys and girls. The song Strange Love was recorded for the film by Tracy, a teen singer from Wembley, <laughs> and released as a 17th single. And Tracy is not linked in the Wikipedia story, so she oh, has no my- Wikipedia page. So assume it's a she. It is a she. She sounds like a she. Yeah, it's a, it's. Risk it. Put a little at the end, just so they get a feel for it. All right. What kind of cocktail rating do you want to give this film, Karen? I think it's a four. Do you want to argue with me? I'll agree. I'll say it's I, a three and a half, but... I think we gave Twins of Evil probably a three, and I think that one's definitely better than this one. And just as a reminder, boys and girls, the more cocktails ratings, the worse the film. So five is our worst, right? So this is a four. I just think it's a little lower than a normal Hammer film. There are certainly things that you expect in a Hammer film, and this has all of them in it. It's just not as good as some others. Gave Twins of Evil a three cocktail rating, and it is better than this. So I agree. This is a four. Three and a half, four, whatever. So now everybody's going to listen and find out why we gave it a four. Yep. But before we do that, I do have one review from the time, Karen. Oh, from the Critics' Corner? Is it Roger Ebert? No, it is not. Oh, okay. (laughs) Greg likes Roger Ebert's reviews. And I will say also, this has a 5.7 out of 10 rating on IMDb and a 20% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Ooh, that's a little brutal. Yeah, that's pretty bad. So the only review I could find, Karen, was from the Village Voice. Oh, okay. It's not much of a review, really. But I'll read the first, I don't know, most of the first paragraph here. This is from the Village Voice, September 16th, 1971. Lust for a vampire and the man who haunted himself at the Penthouse Theater make a nice no-strain double bill 
or they would if the projectionist could just get them into focus. Without ever scaling the heights of terror, they have a fair share of wit at the expense of plot, which is to say that if neither picture will satisfy the search for a good story, which goes on like the search for an honest man, they are at least worth the candle. With typical self-consciousness, they must show their superiority to the conventions of the genre. The first, by overdoing the sauciness, referring to lust for a vampire. The second, by underdoing the meat, referring to the other film. Because all the, a lot of these films were released as double features. But by the same token, you can walk into the middle of either film without suffering much disorientation, and they have complementary vices and virtues. And that's pretty much all there is as far as reviews. Hmm. The rest of it just goes into, he basically tells the whole freaking plot of the movie. <laughs> that's it. So there you go. The only review of the time. I'm curious about the man who haunted himself now. Though. That sounds like an interesting. Yeah. How does that happen? Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> yeah. Must have a, si a sibling. Stop haunting yourself. Stop haunting yourself. <laughs> How would you know that? You don't have a sibling to do that to you. I watch cartoons, Karen. <laughs> all right are we ready to get into it karen let's go all right lust for a vampire copyright 1970 released 1971 did you watch this on amazon prime karen i did rated r is the only thing that popped up on my screen no other warnings surprisingly i was not prepared for all the nudity karen <laughs> <laughs> or blood Film opens and we see a fair young maiden, I wrote, walking through the woods, carrying her basket. She's leaving. After the, she flirts the at the pub. Yeah, yeah, we see her. She's leaving the village and she walks through the wood. And we see almost the... all Hammer films start in the woods. <laughs> I thought of that as, as it was going on. I'm going, I thought Karen's going to mention <laughs> this must be a Hammer film. <laughs> She's walking through the forest in a dress that barely holds her boobs in did you it was distracting uh, i was not distracted oh i was well there are lesbian undertones so there you go <laughs> then we see a figure in black the rear of a figure cloaked in black in the foreground and a coach the figure gets on the coach and rides up to the girl and she seems happy and pleased to see whoever's in the car, the coach but yes she's offered a ride so she doesn't have she's taking her lunch or Dinner to we her don't father know that or she's something. offered a ride. We assume she is because there's no dialogue. No, but the carriage stops and the door opens and she yeah. gets in smiling. She, does. she gets in and smiles and then she screams. Then she's not smiling. <laughs> and we have credits, more credits. There's a wardrobe mistress in the credits, which I thought I was interesting. That. It didn't just say wardrobe and then have a name. It was a wardrobe mistress. So then we see the carriage. Hall and Ash through the woods. Young girl passed out in the back of the carriage. Gets to a, the castle and the carriage driver carries her into the castle. Then we see a cloaked figure and a count, I assume is the count. Well, the carriage driver brings in the young lady and she is unconscious. There's organ music playing in the background. There's cobwebs everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, typical hammer. It's a nice set. Look, but it's, yeah, beautiful. It's always a house I would live in. Um, and it looks like they go into the chapel and he places her on the altar. Okay. 
Well, her whole body's on the altar and her head's hanging off. Hanging the off. Yes. Yeah. So then the count gives the cloaked figure a dagger and the coach driver opens another casket in the room, revealing a corpse. An old one. Yeah. Right here, it looks like a corpse. In a minute, it looks like a skeleton. So I'm not sure how, why that changed. But then the cloaked figure slits the girl's throat and drains her blood into a golden vessel. Oh, I called it a chalice. Oh, that's even better. I call it a bowl. <laughs> it's a ch- it's definitely I'm, a chalice. I'm I'm making my making it better as I go along, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> that was a scene. It's it could have been a lot better, I thought. It was very dramatic. The way she's laying on the altar with her head back, I thought, oh my God, they're gonna decapitate her, which I thought would have been brutal. They do slit her throat, but you don't. But you see don't it. see it. No, you don't see it. And but the I bowl thought, or the chalice is very off center. Yes, it is. So the blood is somehow moving to the left. So I assume they just cut her like jugular on her, I guess her left side, right? Because that's where the chalice was lying underneath her. Just thought it, they could have done more there with yeah. without making it gruesome. No. They could, it's but no they just, worse. It would have been no worse than bite marks with blood coming down them. I right, mean, they could have liked to have a little stream of blood as they're cutting and then cut down. And I thought the setup fine. was really good, the way she was positioned. And then I thought, well, they didn't get the payoff from it. Yeah. So then I wrote the count praise to Satan. Yes, he does. He does call out to Lucifer in yeah. Latin. And no, I won't tell you, although I almost could uh, read a lot that of one. it. A lot of it was in English, though. Yes, but this actual summoning hmm. was Latin. Okay. Then they pour the blood in onto the corpse. And then, it begins and then they cover it. Yeah. So they pour it on the skeletal skull, almost in the mouth and kind of all, all up in the head region, right? And then it's like a kid's magic trick. They pull <laughs> the sheet over the top because you can't watch it. <laughs> Like, I thought, well, they lost another opportunity there, which I guess, you know, they probably don't have the technology to regenerate. Well, but they've done it before. They've done it before. I mean, all you have to do is do it in reverse. I mean, they've. Right. (laughs) So then underneath Christopher Lee disintegrate as Dracula, they just have to do that backwards. (laughs) But the, the sheets over the top, the skeleton starts to light up and the blood. Actually, be veins pretty, begin to appear. It which looked I like a was good, interesting Halloween prop. You know, put a skeleton under it. It's a gauze sheet almost, so you can kind of see through it. Mm-hmm. You can see the skeleton, and then have some sort of. But it is a skeleton. It's and, not the same corpse we saw no. a minute ago. And there's lights and everything, so it was neat. If someone built it and put it in their yard, it wasn't so great for a movie. But this is where we see Christopher Lee's eyeballs a couple of times. Yes, I sure I wrote. Are those Christopher Lee's Lee's bloodshot eyes? Question mark. So I don't know what that they meant. Are. They have to be. Well, I recognize them. Yeah. But the corpse regenerates and rises, and it we see a very lovely blonde young lady. Yeah, I almost thought it was the same woman who was on the altar. Blonde, beautiful. It took me a minute to realize it was not. I thought they were somehow pulling her soul and everything mm. into 
this skeleton, but that it's would have not. been a better story. Yeah, but they're both <laughs> because then she'd be the victim, right? Because she was just picked. But then later they say the spirit inhabits other people. So right. I didn't know maybe that's what happened. That's uh, not what happened though. All right. Well, I don't know. Would have been better that way. It would have been. But then they wouldn't have the, you know, the, the portrait of oh, that's Camila true. to compare to Marcala. Be a different true. person. Yeah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So we're back in the village and we meet Victor Lestrange. Nice name for a movie. And we learn it's 1830. Yes, and that every 40 years, the Karnsteins come back. Well, the pub keeper or whatever says, 40 years ago today were the last time the Karnsteins well, and he says, were seen. And 40 years before that and 40 years before that. Okay, yeah, but Lestrange thinks it's a joke. He ain't buying it. Of course. But the townsfolk are all very serious. We see them staring very seriously <laughs> at him. All the girls are in a state of terror because they prey on young virgins. And we learned that Richard Lestrange is a writer and he's doing background for his next novel. Apparently yes, he's he, a horror writer. Yeah. Vampires, witches, black magic. And Lestrange tells him, hey, if you're so scared of Karnstein Castle, I will go up there myself after lunch. Check it out. They say, just be aware. Don't let strange women entice you. They might be vampires. He doesn't seem to care. He doesn't. He's like, I'm all into it. So he goes to the castle. See him walking through the castle. Lots of cobwebs. Just like you said. Same set. Yeah, he's remembering the conversation he had at lunch. All the things, you know. Yeah, it's replaying. They could, yes, they could use men as their victims. They, they are vampires, blah, blah, blah. And he finds the fresh blood. He does. On the altar. And then a cloaked figure enters. And then another, and he keeps hearing the words of the innkeeper going there, or the barkeeper, or whatever he is, going through his head. And then another. So there's three of them, Karen, and they're kind of like surrounding him, <laughs> coming towards him. And then a man enters, and we learn that he apparently is a school teacher at a neighboring school for girls, and the girls are on a field trip studying the Karnsteins. Then we go to the school, and we see the girls doing physical exercise. Based on dancing, Karen. We before right before that, the teacher that he meets, what's his Giles. name? Giles. Giles likes genealogy and he's doing a lot of research on the Karnsteins. But he also asks if Lestrange is from the Lestrange is from Cork. And apparently he's got some hoity toity. Yeah, he's heredity. heir to some he's heir to something. So that makes him much more some accepted. Duke or Whatever, as he some goes along. Then the strange meets Principal Miss Simpson. She tells him he is welcome there anytime, of course, because of his lineage. Yes. <laughs> but his books are not. They're not they're suitable. For young ladies. Then a coach and, arrives with a new student. Well, then, so when he arrives, the gym teacher is teaching them exercise based on Greek or Roman dancing. So they look like nymphs out there. They've got very low cut gowns, very high slit on the legs, and they're doing all these moves around like Greek goddesses or something, I guess. And Lestrange is there and he and the gym teacher make eye contact for a brief second. And I'm sure you know what a finishing school is. 
but it is a private school where girls are prepared for entry into fashionable society. The name reflects that it follows on from ordinary school as an intended to complete the education with classes primarily on deportment and etiquette with academic subjects secondary. What's deportment? I don't know. I think it's, I thought it was how to carry yourself, but I don't know what the difference between deportment and etiquette is. Yeah, how etiquette would be like manners and things like that. Like social skills would, what I would think was deportment, how to converse and things, but I didn't look it up. I don't know. I just assumed that. It's also known in the US, they generally call it charm school. So it could be dancing because I know a lot of charm schools teach you to dance and I myself did not go to charm school. (laughs) I'm sure everyone would be stunned to find (laughs) that out. Then a coach arrives with a new student. And we should say that Lestrange does ask to be introduced to the gym teacher or yes. They say I Playfair is her name, Playfair. The names are interesting. I called her Janet, but yeah, I did too. The gym teacher. But the coach that arrives is open air. It's like a convertible coach. It has no top. With a new student and it's the Countess and her, I guess, niece, niece Mercala. Niece. And Lestrange seems very interested in Mercala, I wrote. Yes. All of a sudden, Janet doesn't exist. Only Mercala does. No more gym teacher, 100% student. So these, so finishing school, is that like something girls would do instead of university? That was my impression, yes. Okay, so. Because you're. So they're all like 18. Well, they're supposed to be. Okay. But you would be going into high society. So you need to be yeah, trained well, in are, how to. They are the. They're the elite. Daughters of wealthy. Yes. So they're going to have to entertain and they're going to have to dance and they're going to have to, you know, make sure everything's proper. Again, not surprising. I wasn't in finishing school for all of those reasons, but to run households, elite households, I would say. But yes, 18, and they do not look 18. Yeah, they're probably 21, 22. They're older, I'm telling you. 23. (laughs) But then we see the girls getting ready for bed, Karen, and we see two bare breasts. Yep, just out of nowhere. Putting on her nightdress. Yep. And the girls are wondering, who was that man there? He was very handsome, talking about Lestrange. He's pretty handsome, I would say. And then we see Marcala getting a massage from another girl. I guess it's her roommate, Susan, right? Yes. And um, whatever she's wearing falls off her shoulders. And we see two more bare breasts, Karen. Yes. Her straps of her gown fall off her shoulders and she does not do anything to fix them. Nope. They get busted a little. Yeah. They plan to go skinny dipping at midnight. And Susan starts to kiss Marcala on the neck. And then the. Miss Playfair comes in <laughs> and Susan jumps off the bed. Chop, right. chop, get to bed. Yes. And they have a plan because Miss Playfair is going to be around. They'll just put pillows under the covers and she'll never know we're gone. That doesn't work. I thought you didn't go to finishing school, Karen. <laughs> That's street smarts right there, Greg. <laughs> So then we see Lestrange back in the town and he's telling the other men about his experience at the castle. Laughing. Laughing. And they're all laughing. The same men who are like warning him and were dead serious about 
strange women and young virgins or whatever are now laughing, laughing like, you know, dirty old men or whatever. Well, he's telling the story about all the beautiful women up there. Ooh, that, he, that he was afraid of. vampires. Ooh. <laughs> so everybody's hee-hawing back at the pub. Hello, boys and girls. Thanks for listening to the Scary Spirits Podcast. Karen and I really have a great time putting these episodes together. If you enjoy what you hear, please consider taking the time to leave a review wherever you listen. Reviews really help independent podcasts find listeners. The more listeners we have, the easier it is for people to find us. Now, back to the show. Then uh, we see a barmaid. She goes outside and she sees someone and she goes to kiss them, question mark, I wrote. That's what it looked like. And it's first person, right? So she's coming to the camera. Yes. She went out to feed the dog. And then she screams and falls. She immediately. And I wrote, she gone. She got bite marks on her neck, but she does still have a pulse, Karen. I could see her. I could see it too. <laughs> That's not her fault though. Robin. No, you can't control that. No, she can't stop her pulse. <laughs> she looked pretty dead otherwise. Then we cut back to Susan. At swimming hole. Jumping, taking off her clothes and jumping in. Yeah, full, full, full frontal. Same two bare breasts though. And it's dark, and it's from a distance. But she dives in. And then she calls for Mercala, and then Mercala comes in, joins her. Mercala is late. They agreed to meet at midnight, Midnight. and she's late. And I wrote, they kiss. Yes, they do in the water. And does the count, is the count there? I think he's watching them. Okay. I, I wasn't sure if it was the count or Giles. But someone, we get a quick shot of someone standing there watching, and then it's just a quick shot. I think it's the Count. Okay. I think so, too, because he reappears like that throughout the film. But this was the first time it happened. So then we see uh, Lestrange dining. I think it's the next day. Yeah, it must be the next day. Dining at the uh, pub. So we should say before this scene, Lestrange offers in the principal's office to teach English. And the principal says, well, we have an English teacher. He's arriving, arriving. tomorrow. Right. Well, because Wednesday, Le- I think he, she says. but Lestrange is trying to weasel his way into the school. Yes, he is. <laughs> so he meets a man named Biggs, who we learn is also an author. And he doesn't really want to m- meet with him. Right? No. He's- he doesn't want, he tells the innkeeper he does not want to be seated with him. Because the innkeeper but, said, there's a man here just traveled in from blah, blah, Engl- blah. From England, he yeah. says. But um, Lestrange learns that he's an author and he is the new English teacher at the school. Yes. And Big says his style is very avant-garde. But the worst thing for an author or someone in the movie business, it's like, hey, want to read my script? Yes. <laughs> it's like, will you read some of my stuff? And Lestrange is like, oh, I'm very busy, very busy. <laughs> then he finds out he's the English, new English teacher at the school, and all of a sudden they're going to be best friends. Yes, perhaps they should work together on a project. <laughs> Which excites this Biggs guy, because I guess Lestrange probably pretty well known, it seems yes, like. apparently. He says he's writing a novel now based on Vienna characters in Vienna and boom. He needs cut. some research done. <laughs> and next thing you know, Biggs is off to Vienna. Yeah. But this 
Strange is at the school telling the principal that Biggs has fallen somehow and injured his legs and had to go to Vienna for an operation because that's the only place they can do it. Yes. So he'll be gone for four weeks and he offers his services once again as the English teacher. So he's dispatched the English teacher and is now taking his place. Strange is a, I was going to say strange character, but he's he's an interesting character, I guess. He's strange. He's kind of sneaky and slimy a little bit. He's not really all that nice. And I kept waiting for his redemption or his, you know what I mean, in the end, but. I guess they tried to do that, but it doesn't really get there. No. So then we see Lestrange teaching English. And he says to Marcala, who's your favorite contemporary artist? I don't know if he's fishing for a compliment or not. Uh, And she says she doesn't know any, but she's read a lot of 18th century work. Yes. And the girls laugh at him. And then he says, well, your education has been neglected. You're probably going to need a personal tutor. (laughs) And then we switch to Giles. Giles teaching his history class or whatever. He's teaching the girls all about the Karnsteins. And no one's listening. No they're one's passing, paying attention. They're passing notes. Drawing <laughs> pictures, doodling. Yeah. No one's paying attention except for Marcala. And the strange watches from outside the window. Yeah, he's, he's talking. Peeping. Yeah. It's... <laughs> and the principal catches him. And he gets a room at the school. He already asked for one. And he says, yeah, you, yeah. So he's going to be sharing a room with Giles. But he's like, well, isn't there a room closer? (laughs) Closer I just want to spend, I want to spend more time with the girls. And then he said for their education, of course. Then we see Giles doing research on the Karnstein castle. And he's talking to Lestrange about it. And then he just disappears. Lestrange is just basically... I'm too cool for you kind of vibe. He's laying on the bed. Giles is working really hard and strange isn't interested, but yeah, he just disappears. And I said, is Giles the Renfield? You know, I thought, is he helping them somehow? Because he just disappears. Then we see um, Susan at the lake again. Back at the lake. She's not skinny dipping this time though. No, but she goes to kiss someone. Yeah, she goes to kiss someone just like in the first person, like she's coming to the camera, right? Goes to embrace, I wrote. But then she screams. And right here I wrote, the count watches. Yes. So then we see Marcala returning to the school and Lestrange stops her and he professes his love for her. He's loved her since the first time he saw her, Karen. Love at first sight. Okay. So... We always see love at first sight in these movies. So I actually Googled, what's the average time it takes someone to fall in love? Because this has been, what, 48 hours? Maybe. Maybe. That he professes it. Mm -hmm. It's love at first sight, which pops up often in this movie. Which is basically the speed of light. Yes. There you go. You want to guess what the average time (laughs) for men to fall in love is? I'll tell you it's in days. Oh, it's not the speed of light? No. (laughs) This is just an average, and I'm sure this was just... An average. Let's see. So... Talking to people. I met my wife in sixth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't fall in love with her until much, much, much much later. So, don't know. She didn't pull her hair or anything in sixth grade? No. Mm -mm. Okay. Didn't really even really converse. Pay attention. To each other. Yeah. 
days for um, men. Wow, I don't know. I'm going to say five. See, I was surprised, but the average time for men to fall in love is 88 days. Wow. And while those same feelings of true love. So this is, I think, when someone says, this might be the person for me. You know, not while I really like them, I might sleep with them or something. That's probably lust more than love. I think it's probably saying maybe this could go and we could get married or something mm-hmm. where you start thinking those thoughts, because right. that seems like a long time yeah. to me where, when the first time you say, I love you or something, 88 days is almost three months. That's, mm-hmm. I guess that's not too bad. That's I don't not know. Bad. I guess that's not bad. Yeah. When you say it like that. So do you think women take longer or less time? I want to say longer, but I bet it's less. <laughs> go with your gut. Longer. It is longer. The same feelings of true love take women 134 days. These are polls. You know, there's nothing scientific about this. They did find that 61% of women believe in love at first sight and 72% of men do, which is, and it does say the surveys were focused on heterosexual relationships. So you can't this, you know, with its lesbian undertones and stuff. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was interesting that men are quicker to be in love than women. I would have thought it was the other way around for sure. Mm. And more men believe in love at first sight than women do. Anyway, he fell in love with her the millisecond he saw her because he was eyeballing Janet, Mm -hmm. the gym teacher, thinking, well, maybe. And then boom, moved right along. Then we see somebody dragging the body of Susan away. And then we see it's Giles and as he dumps her body into a well. Yeah, I thought that was a cool shot. Looking up from the well, he dumps her in. Her falling, that, that was a little yeah, that was, much. But the no. but the shot of her coming into it's, the well. It's not Lee Remick falling from or from the uh in the omen. <laughs> no. Or what's his name in Psycho falling down the stairs. I thought the setup for the shot was good. Then we see Mercala meeting with Miss Simpson, and I guess they're talking about the disappearance of Susan. Miss Simpson tells Mercala that if anyone asks about Susan, that she is to say she is in the sanitary sanatorium. Mercala was like, I don't know. I don't know where she is. She was supposed to, she's just not there. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty funny. And Which then, is what you would say, though, to be fair, if you were roommates and you knew each other and you... She went off to meet someone or something. That's mm-hmm. exactly what you would say. I don't yep. know. I know nothing. And then Miss Simpson and Miss Playfair argue about what to do about the missing Susan. Janet says, you have 48 hours yeah. and I'm going to report it. <laughs> and Miss Simpson is a little, you know, maybe she went off to meet a man. And Janet, the gym teacher is like, the village is miles from here. Well, there's horse, you know, the men could have. The man could have come. I mean, I would say as a finishing I mean, school strange teacher, is walking to the village later. I know. Within walking distance, apparently. And at least it's for a bunch men. of beautiful women in <laughs> a location. I'm sure men are going to be milling around. There's going to be men there. And they say, we don't know if she was followed. A man could have followed her from her home. Whatever. Who knows? But then we, then we see Giles giving the girls a tour of Karnstein Cemetery. And he tells them about 
the grave of Camilla. It is neglected. And he says that, you know, you might think that's an odd name, but it was customary for girls of the time to be given a name, which is an anagram of their mother's name, apparently. Couldn't find if that was true or not. And then the girls all trying to come up with anagrams of Camilla. And one of them finally says, Makala. So was Giles trying to tell her that he knew? Yes. Okay. So then right as they're leaving, Giles tells Mercala to meet him back there that evening. He has found something out that is very important. Very important. And we see Giles and Lestrange in the room, and Lestrange wonders why Susan wasn't in his class. Giles says that she has a touch of fever and is in the sanatorium. And Lestrange is drinking a lot. He is. He falls asleep. Yes. Giles leaves. Back at the Karnstein Cemetery, Mercola arrives in a mist of Froggy's fog. Yes, she does, in a white nightgown. And Giles tells Mercola that he knows who she is and why she is there. He found a portrait of Carmilla Karnstein and tells Mercola it looks just like her. There's a lot of eyeball acting. A flashback to the regenerating skeleton and a long dramatic pause. And we see her breasts again from the flashback <laughs> when yes. she raises. Because in the first scene, we always saw her from her from the back. Yes. This time we see her from the front. And this is a pretty that's a pretty famous publicity photo from the front with blood all over her like that. So then we see Giles and uh he holds a cross up to Mercala. And, and she, she recoils. She recoils. And Giles turns the cross upside down, which I thought was very clever. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. We've never, I've never, never seen, seen it that, before. Never seen that before. And he offers to be your servant, right? He tells her he found the body of Susan and got rid of it. I've studied your magic. I know the black arts and I want to know more, more. He means no harm to her. He wants to worship her, be her servant. Be a servant of the devil. And then I wrote, Mercala bites him on the neck, question mark. And yeah, she I... leaves into the fog. But I, And he crawls behind her. But I was like, because we've talked about this, right? Vampires apparently can bite with intent. They can, they can turn you or they can kill you or whatever. So I was like, what is she? I didn't, wasn't quite sure what she was doing. She bites him and then she leaves. Because she doesn't bite him viciously. She bites him no. gently. And I liked the shot of her leaving. It almost looked like she was floating in the froggy's fog when mm -hmm. she left, which I thought was neat. But he's just crawling on the ground, slowly dying, I guess, from his blood loss. I guess. And begging her and begging her. And that's when you said Peter Cushing might play that role. I couldn't see him doing that. You know, begging to be her servant. Just that would have been a weird thing to see him. I wonder if they'd have changed it. Yeah, maybe. Probably would have. I don't know. Again, the count watches. So then the countess arrives back at the school, Mercala's aunt, and the girls find the body of Giles as they're out running around playing Ring Around the Rosie, yes, she says, what, or whatever. Giggling. They were like, I don't know, skipping. It was weird. <laughs> I said, the girls are playing like they're six years old. <laughs> countess tells Miss Simpson that she is traveling with her personal physician. Isn't that, Isn't that convenient? Yes, that's very convenient. And we see the physician, and he is the count, and he tells Miss Simpson that Giles died from a heart attack. He gone. Yeah, he's like under a tree or something. 
wasn't yeah. it was weird under a fallen tree or something yeah then we see janet she goes to see lestrange and she tells him that susan disappeared and that she is afraid someone else will die and she asks lestrange to go to the authorities with her and he agrees to join her the next day she thinks the disappearance of susan and giles's death are somehow related and he's the only one she can talk to and we see the strange going through Giles's things in the room and he finds the portrait of Carmilla and sees that it is Mercala. He rifles through all the research on the desk. He goes to the school and I wrote, none of the doors are locked, apparently, because he walks through several doors to get to the place where Giles' body is. And he sees the fang marks on his neck, the bite mark on his neck. Then we see the strange in class. I guess the girls are doing some silent reading because it's very quiet <laughs> calls mccall up to the desk and on the pretense of you know going over her essay or some shit but he tells her whispers to her that he's been going through giles things about the karnsteins and wants to meet her later that evening well first she says she won't meet him and then he says i have some interesting information from giles and then she wants to know what he knows so she says she'll meet him Karnstein Cemetery that evening. The strange professes his love for her again. And she, of course, all she wants to know is what was in the notes. What's in the notebook? Yeah. He tells her about the portrait. And then Mercala tells the strange that she is a Karnstein, but her family changed their name. And she wants to know if he thinks she is a vampire. He tells her that he does believe in vampires and asked her to prove to him that she is not by loving him, Karen. Yes, because he would die if she loved him. Yeah. So she says, I could kill you if I was a vampire. I would kill you. Then the song Strange Love <laughs> plays, Karen. And we see Ute's bare breasts again. And I wrote, they have relations. And she cries. Looks like he makes her very happy. Yes, she undresses. Well, he undresses her. Do you think that she hypnotized him when she got to the school or you think this is some sort of true love? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because it's a little ridiculous, but yeah, that song made me laugh. Of course they're in love. Of course they are. You know. Then Lestrange returns to his room to find Janet waiting for him. She's not happy. Nope. She's been waiting hours. That's right. <laughs> He tells her that she should not contact the authorities. It is all in her imagination. And she tells him he's changed in the last couple of days. When he arrived, she, she thought he was an honest and courageous man. And she walks away and she's in tears as well. <laughs> she's disappointed in him. Then the strange looks at the portrait of Mercala or Carmela and goes to bed. In his clothes. He just lays on top of the bed and falls asleep. And he dreams of Mercala and Janet, and we see her breasts again. While the strange love song plays. <laughs> again, yes. So apparently Janet notifies the authorities. Inspector comes and begins questioning Miss Simpson. He tells Miss Simpson to write a letter to the family immediately, explaining that she is missing. And dispatch it with Janet. And the inspector asks for the death certificate of Giles. And he wants to know where Giles' body was found. Janet says that she will show him. So then Mercola and Lestrange meet again. He wants to know why she has been avoiding him. And they end up kissy-facing. 
since she loved him. She won't talk to him. She won't even make eye contact. Then we see the inspector looking around the area where Giles was found. I thought he was going to find Lestrange and Mercala kissing because they're both out there, but no, he doesn't. And Janet kind of offers to help, and he pretty much says, good day. I said, good day. Let me do my job. So he finds his way to the Karnstein Cemetery, and then the well where Susan's body is. Cut back to Mercala and Lestrange, and Mercala tells him that the Countess is coming that afternoon and makes him promise not to talk to her about their love. Back at the Not well, to we... talk to her at all, especially yeah. about their love. He, she doesn't want her to say anything. And we see the inspector at the well, and he ties a rope off, and he descends into the well. He did drop a stone in to see how deep it was. He did, and see he if didn't... it was dry too. I yeah. guess. He lights a match when he gets to the bottom and finds the body of Susan, all twisted and contorted. Countess arrives, finds out about the letter to Susan's father. Yeah, she's not happy about that. No, Countess tells Miss Simpson to write another letter telling him that Susan died of a heart attack and that they have found her body. Well, she says, well, what should I say? What did she die of? And then the doctor walks in and says heart attack right then. So it's pretty rare to have a heart attack in your 20s. But if you were, I mean, obviously it can occur at any age. If you have a heart attack in your 20s, it's usually because of substance abuse or excessive alcohol use, smoking, or high blood pressure. And the risk of cardiovascular disease is now actually increasing in 20 and 30-year-olds in this time, and that has to do with high blood pressure, obesity, and again, those other facts. Substance abuse is a big one. So back then, for sure, it would have been much more rare. They could have picked something else, which they do in a little while, but heart attack seems such an odd one to me. And then we see the count at the well with a knife cutting the rope. Yep. I do think it was smart. The inspector threw the rope down, you know, into the well to climb down, but he made knots every foot or so, so he could climb back up much easier. Yes. Because, you know, rope climbing, gym class sucked ass. And so <laughs> having those knots to be able to put your feet on would have made it a lot easier. Spectre falls, he gone. Then we see Janet meeting with the strange again. She tells him she does not trust the Countess. And she wants, she tells him she is afraid that he will be the next victim. And she tells him, because in case you haven't noticed, I love you. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, just a declaration of love. Yeah, I couldn't really tell. I don't know how you were supposed to, except for that first day when they were that first eyes. exchange. That was it for yeah. her. And Mercala is listening at the window, so now she's peeping. So Janet arrives back at her room, I guess, to find Mercala waiting for her at the top well, of the she's stairs. She's back in. Yeah, she's back in the school, and Mercala's at the top of the stairs. And there's a ton of eyeball acting there. And she hip, hypnotizes her. Janet has a tiny little cross buried in her bosoms that she's been wearing. But she does hypnotize her and make her go up the stairs. I guess Mercala tries to un- starts to undo her top and finds the cross and runs away. It's, it's very shiny, the cross. 
So next, Susan's father arrives, and he does not believe that his daughter died of a heart attack. He has his daughter's body exhumed, and he has brought a pathologist with him. He ain't messing yeah. around. Yeah, you know what a pathologist does? Pathological stuff. Yes. <laughs> Studies <laughs> fluids, tissues, or organs taken from the body. Pathologists often work with a surgically removed sample of diseased tissues called the biopsy. The pathological examination of an entire body is an autopsy. Pathologists are often involved in the diagnosis of illness. So they look at the slides and things to tell you what's wrong with you. But they examine the body, open the casket, and the pathologist finds the bite mark on her neck. And you should know. Okay, so the body is exhumed. Susan was at the bottom of the well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now the father is saying exhume my daughter's body. The principal is freaking out because she doesn't know where the body is. She just right. told the father that Susan was dead. But the countess is there and saying, no, 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 don't you worry your pretty little head. Uh -huh. You were busy. I took care of everything. So Susan is in the casket that yes. they dig up. Yeah, the Karnsteins buried her. And the count watches from the woods with his fake widow's peak. Is that what it's called? Widow's peak? Yes. Yes. Okay. It was very apparent here to me. So then Susan's father confronts the countess. The pathologist does see the bite marks on her neck. Countess tells him that Susan died from suicide. She threw herself from the top of the Karnstein castle. Because the father says, my daughter had severe bodily injuries. And then the countess says, well, her heart stopped on her way down or something. Right. She threw herself off the top of the castle. Then we're back in the pub and the pathologist and Susan's father are talking and he, he says it's possible that she died from suicide, but he has no explanation for the bite mark on the neck. And the countess does say, well, you're divorced, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Blames it on a bad home life as to why she would do that. But yeah, the doc says, I can't argue with that. That could have happened. Yeah, I can't prove it. She didn't. Right. Right, except for the bite marks. And the townsfolk are all there listening in, and they suspect vampires, Karen. They say, you don't need a doctor. What you really need is the door swings open, and there's a priest. <laughs> a priest in red. Yeah, he might have been a cardinal. I don't know. But I don't know if it was a Catholic priest or not. But he's definitely a holy man. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of, did you ever watch Laverne and Shirley when you were a kid? Do you remember Absolutely. Lenny, Lenny yeah. and Squiggy or whatever? Yes. yes. And they would say something like this. Well, you don't need a doctor. What you really need. Hello. Is yes. And they'd <laughs> open the door and be like, that's what it is. Hello. And it would be whatever, you know. Lenny it, or Squiggy. Yes. But they would be doing something that they needed done. It was funny. And that's yeah. what I thought of when the, the door swings open and the priest walks in. It was like, hello, I'm here. <laughs> Then we see Lestrange drinking and looking at the notes about Mercala again. He's drinking heavily. Yeah. Then the priest meets with Susan's father and the pathologist at the pub. A priest, a pathologist, and a <laughs> grieving father go into a bar. <laughs> yes. They're uh, conversing. Yeah. Lestrange goes to Mercala's room. He's drunk. He's like, he wouldn't pass the test where you had to walk a straight line. Oh, but he's not acting overly drunk 
but you can see he's wobbly. Yeah, he wouldn't he have gone to her. No, they, he has to be drunk because he's a teacher. He can't go and pound on the student's wall or door and keep his job. I mean, I guess he he's drunk. He he's not thinking correctly. But he hears he, voices from inside the room, Karen. Yes. Apparently, Mer- Mercala is in there uh, engaging in relations and feeding with one of her classmates. <laughs> Who keeps repeating her name. Yeah. Mercala. And Merc- we see another bare breast. And he's pounding on the door. I know you have someone in there. Open this door. Which, if you and did, the, why would you ever? All the girls come into the hallway right, and because he's making a ruckus. It's not cool, dude. <laughs> well, he blew the cover off of that one. Then we cut to the angry townsfolk. Yeah, all of a sudden, and there's lighting, a mob mentality. I don't know what happened. Torches and getting their pitchforks. Did the priest <laughs> rile him up? What happened? And Lestrange is apparently out of liquor. He's back at his room and every bottle he pours is empty. So I'm pretty sure he's heading into town to get some more booze. Yeah. And we see the angry townsfolk heading to the castle. Lestrange sees them coming towards him and he hides in the woods. As they pass, he stops and asks one of them what they're doing. And so he says they're going to the Castle Karnstein and going to stake their evil hearts. Yes, the priest says only a stake through the heart or decapitation will kill them. The strange tries to stop the priest from going, but the angry townsfolk grab him. They all arrive at the Karnstein castle and are, as the Karnsteins are getting ready to leave. They're all getting yes. ready to go in their carriage. And the count just says, too late. Yeah. It goes back in the castle. But this is where um, Lestrange says, Mercala is just a victim. She's a victim in this. You know, it's not her fault. He's defending her. So then the carriage driver for the Karnsteins bears his fangs and rushes at them in the carriage. And they pull him off the carriage. They stop the horses, pull him down from the carriage and stake him right through the heart. He gone. Yeah, I didn't know he was a vampire. I didn't either. Because he looked a little queasy when they were cutting the woman's throat in the chapel at the beginning. But Yeah, he's. I thought he was just like a Renfield. Yeah. So then they begin to burn down the castle. And the priest is telling them, stop. No, this isn't going to kill them. This doesn't work. He nope. tries to tell them fire is useless. Angry townsfolk don't listen, Karen. No, they do not. And the Karnsteins are in the castle and they stand there. We're not afraid of fire. <laughs> right? They're like, well, we'll just burn, but it's not going to make us die. They're just they're smiling. This isn't going to kill us. And Lestrange runs in to the burning castle to save Mercala. And Mercala tries to tell him to get out, but the Count hisses and stops her. <laughs> he kind of controls her a little bit, I think, or something. He's kind of doing his best Christopher Lee the whole movie. Yeah, you know. it's not it's not good. But I wrote she goes to bite Lestrange and he well, they kiss her first. Away. They kiss and then she shows her teeth and he pushes her away. And then she hisses at him. And then a beam falls from the roof, Karen, and it impales her right through the heart. A flaming stake. Yeah, she <laughs> burns goes... and melts. Yes. And he and, cries. And her her uh, body isn't it's not good special no. effects work. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but she's gone because she's staked. So then Susan's father runs in and grabs Lestrange and takes him out of the castle. 
Yeah, I don't know why they had a relationship like that that he would run in to get him, but he did. Uh, But the count and countess watch. They just stand there. They don't care. They're going to burn. Then Janet helps the strange walk away as the priest prays while the castle burns. He falls into Janet's arms and he just looks at her like they're in love. It it was just like, it it made me laugh too. Okay. Janet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I can always, I can be with Janet. It'll be fine. (laughs) So he's not redeemed. He's kind of a dick through the whole movie. He kind of is. And the priest is praying, but we know they're not dead. So they could have had another movie if they wanted. Well, I guess they do after this, but but it's it's not not, really a true sequel. And we have credits in the end. What'd you think of our strange love, Negroni? I don't like Campari. Better. But it's it's not bad. It's better. The orange slice helps too, I think. Yeah, and I didn't have that. But I think it's definitely one of the better Campari drinks we've had. If I had to rank them. I this got a whole a- freaking bottle, Karen. I got I to gotta use that shit I up know. somewhere. I'm just saying, <laughs> of the ones we've had so far, this is the most palatable to me. I agree. I like the sweetness with the bitterness. It it off plays it a little bit. And I, I I put lime in mine trying to get some citrus in there, but I could see where the orange would add a lot more flavor. What did we learn today, Karen? Anything? Anything at all? This was uh, could you tell I was reaching in this one? Because <laughs> I, I mean there's not a lot there to there's just nothing there. It was really hard. I mean, Styria was in there again, where they're from, but we've done that one before. It's a place in Austria known for their wine, which I actually remember. They did keep from... talking about Vienna, but yeah, but they're not. There's nothing really. They don't go there or anything. So it's like, eh. So what did we learn? Finishing school. What causes heart attacks in your twenties? What pathologists do, and how long it takes to fall in love. And we got a Lenny and Squiggy reference in there. We got uh, Christopher Lee's bloodshot eyeballs. True. I thought for sure I would be able to work in a heart reference, but I just couldn't do it. That strange love song. Please try to play it. Get a little snippet. You know, because, you know, Heart had that song, you know, Baby Lestrange. Yes. <laughs> there, I just did it. There. Now it's in there. <laughs> Write it down. Now we learned a little about Ute. And... True. So. By my count, Karen, we had five, five bare breasts. So even though if we see them twice, you only count them once. once. Okay. They have to be unique. Yes. Five unique breasts. (laughs) (laughs) As far as I could tell, as far as I could count. There was quite a bit of nudity in this one. Well, breasts. Well, Well, I mean, there was some frontal. frontal. Both of them dove into the water naked. True, they did. But it was dark and it was from a distance. But you could tell they were naked. Yeah, you could. So you got to. Actually, they were naked underneath those when they were doing their little dancing and things. They were all naked underneath because I've well, seen stills, which are much more revealing from the film than what we saw. Everyone's naked under their clothes, Greg. I mean, but, but they're yes. not wearing undergarments at all. No, they definitely were sexy in those gowns in the beginning. All right, Karen, I believe the next film is your choice. Is it? Is it not? It is. And what film have you chosen for us, Karen? I have chosen a film from 1932 called The Most Dangerous Game. Any reason you chose this film, Karen? 
well, should I spoil it now or you no, want to wait and find out? I don't know. Because you didn't originally have this as your choice. <laughs> you changed No, it. I did. Well, I chose it because this movie stars the very lovely Faye Ray. It does. I and believe Faye I knew that. Birthday is two days after this comes out. It so is, Karen. September 15th. You never have enough Fay Ray. No, I believe I had this on my radar. I think for that very same reason that we're celebrating the birthday of Fay Ray. As everyone should. Might you have a cocktail for us? Maybe something to also celebrate Fay Ray's birthday? Well, it's called the Shipwreck Drink Recipe Number One. <laughs> from caribbeancastaways.com you're going to need two ounces of orange juice two ounces of pineapple juice half ounce of grenadine half ounce of malibu rum half ounce of midori or coconut rum okay fill a shaker with ice add everything but the grenadine shake strain into a glass and add the grenadine raise the glass and toast it says i can already tell i'm gonna like this drink karen yeah it's definitely a <laughs> lanai drink but i can already tell CaribbeanCastaways.com. I'm going to add that to my favorites. They have 52 rum drinks on that really? site, it says. I'm definitely adding it to or, or 52 drink recipes. Oh, okay. Castaway cocktails, recipe ebook. Lots of island favorites, so I think you would like it. Probably would. All right, so that'll be next week. Hopefully there's a shipwreck in there. <laughs> <laughs> true there might not be one you never know with me sometimes they work sometimes they don't all right anyone you need to thank this week karen well as always i need to thank our listeners there's a lot of podcasts out there thank you for spending time with us what about you greg who do you need to thank once again i need to thank the band verse 13 for providing all the music in the scary spirits podcast music definitely makes the podcast better and also, I need to thank the people of the great state of Illinois. Ooh. I think that's a new one. They stepped I think up. I've, I don't think I've ever thanked Illinois before. And once again, we did a little different thing today. So give us some feedback. <laughs> if you don't like it, yell at Greg. Greg at scaryspirits.com. Or if you like it, tell me at Greg at scaryspirits.com. Whatever. You'd be all proud of yourself. I kind of like it. I think when you listen scene by scene, I think you can tell what we're going to say at the end. You can probably guess whether we like it or not. So this just tells you right up front. Yeah, it's Sometimes more of it, a true review in the beginning and then a, I don't know, critique. Or I agree. Sometimes I remember things in the text that I've written that remind me of things I did or didn't like. So I'll probably miss some of those at the beginning. So you have to listen to be sure to find out what I really didn't like or really did like, because I'm old. My memory is shot, so I can't remember everything. I'm way older than Greg. Way older. Way. All right. Anything else, Karen? Please drink responsibly. Yes. Feeling strange
Hey, it's Karen, and I'm here to talk to you about getting social with us. Did you know you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Scary Spirits Podcast? Or check out our website, scaryspirits.com. If you have something to say, email us at info at scaryspirits.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Please drink responsibly. <laughs>